Hello, it's 9th of December 2018, and this is episode 86 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. How has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Correct me if I'm wrong, and I have mentioned anything Star Warsy, but I don't think this week has been very Star Warsy so far. Um, like it's been a fine week, um, apart from the fact I had a cold a few days ago, but that's gone now, <laughs> so that's <laughs> good. good. Um, but yeah, really, it's mostly been about seeing the lovely feedback that people left on our last episode, which has been so nice to see because we did put a lot of efforts and preparation into the last show which was about the literary themes and influences on the sequel trilogy and yeah people seem to have really responded to it and enjoyed our rambles which is very encouraging and what we like to hear so yeah it was great Mm -hmm. yeah it's really nice to see people engaging with things and a few people have picked up the book that we were working from so be cool to hear about what people think of that definitely have you done anything star warsy kirsty not really just watching more resistance again And I'm kind of sad that this week it will be the last episode for a while. Yeah, now I've got into a little routine now with Resistance, so I'll be sad to give that up. Yeah. I'm not sure how long the hiatus is. Um, Hopefully it's just a few weeks. Yeah, I think it's typically about a month, if if it's like how it was with Rebels. But yeah, we will see. Mm -hmm. Um, Right, with the preamble out of the way... I just wanted to reveal that we are going to set ourselves another challenge, which is exciting. And the next book challenge is that I want us both to read The Secret History of Star Wars, which is by Michael Kaminsky. I've actually already read this, so I have a bit of an advantage. (laughs) That doesn't seem fair. I know, I know. But listen, I will reread it because I last read it like five years ago or something. So I don't have a clear memory of it. So... Like, I'm not that mean. (laughs) I'm not just going to be sat here, like, filing my nails while you're struggling to, like, read a thousand-page book or something. It's not that long, (laughs) but it's quite long. Um, But, yeah, it's a really interesting, well-researched book that goes in deep into the development of the Star Wars films. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, it was published in 2008, so it only concerns the original trilogy and the prequels. But it offers a really great overview of those films and all the different drafts and what changed between drafts and what influenced Lucas to tell these stories and what changed between the films and all those kinds of things. There's lots of myth busting as well, which I really appreciate. So yeah, it's really great and I'm excited for Kirsty to read it and hopefully some of our listeners too. So if it sounds interesting, you should absolutely read it and then we'll hopefully get to a discussion of it in the new year. Yeah, we're going to probably end up taking a couple weeks break over Christmas, right? Because we're traveling and we'll be meeting up in person. Exactly, which will be very exciting. (laughs) Something to look forward to. Yep, exactly. We'll make it worth your while. So the wait won't be too painful because you can read this. (laughs) It'll be great. Yep, so then we are going to go into a little news section. There's not a great deal that's happened, but we're still going to cover like the few things that have been out there. Um, and yeah, the first thing is that Kevin Smith visited the Star Wars Episode Nine set and has offered a tease of what he saw. Did this particular quote come from Good Morning America, 
Kirsten. Yes, and I haven't watched the clip, but I got this transcription, I think, from Star Wars Newsnet. Okay, great, cool. Then I will perform this, because <laughs> it's very exuberant, if you will. So, I went and visited J.J. Abrams on Star Wars, and that was incredible. I saw things. I was there for a week, so I watched two things get filmed. The things I saw blew my mind on a Star Wars level. All universe, all Star Wars movies. Like, whoa! (laughs) Then some details I heard about the flick that were, whoa! Because this is it. They're wrapping it up with episode 9. This is their conclusion to the entire Star Wars saga. What I saw was massive. (laughs) The biggest thing I've seen in my life. I was on the biggest set I've ever seen in my life. I did cry. I watched a performance that was a career best performance on set that made me cry. But it's going to be amazing. <laughs> I think they missed a little bit at the beginning, actually. He was he said something like, JJ's doing the Lord's work. <laughs> oh man, I would have loved to have read that. <laughs> oh, either way, yeah. it's very cute. I'm so excited. It- it's very cute, yeah. Like, I, honestly, I'm not, like, being mean by reading it out like that. I'm just trying to capture some of the passion that Kevin Smith so clearly has for all things geeky and nerdy, which is very charming, and I appreciate it as a nerd. Although, don't go quite to this degree. Because... I think if we had visited the Nine set, we'd be even more, like, oh my god. <laughs> I think we'd be, like, in a... <laughs> coma would just be overwhelmed <laughs> it'd be too much yeah um but yeah uh it's, he certainly makes it all sound great but i yeah. will preface this by saying that kevin smith is notorious for getting excited about almost any like large scale comic book movie star wars movie thing. i mean that's why they have him go right so that then he can like do the promotion for them he can talk about how amazing it was yeah yeah exactly he's the perfect person to get on set because by default he's going to be super excited about what you're doing which is brilliant for marketing purposes so good on them uh but yeah like i think he went to the set of batman v superman for example and he said that that was like a masterpiece and he was brought to tears and it was just the best thing he'd ever seen and that sort of thing and yeah we know how that film turned out so Uh, i don't actually i've never seen it but well i haven't seen it but it's notorious for not being very good okay um he did also go to the force awakens set and he seemed happy with that too so like i'm very happy that it made him happy you know so that's great i'm very pleased for kevin and he's living his best life exactly and i would have loved to have been in his place but I think in terms of gathering any meaning like from this, like I just can't. Like well, it, he, it does nothing. <laughs> I'm sure he's not allowed to say anything, right? So Oh yeah, absolutely. But I just mean the fact that he is excited, it doesn't make me more excited for it. Yeah, I I, I would yeah, I agree. <laughs> you can't get any details from here. Although I am interested to learn who he's talking about. Uh, I'm guessing he is talking about someone specific when he said he watched someone perform an amazing scene and it moved him to tears. Um, yes. I think he said that it was someone who... Because, um, th- yeah, the more I think about it, actually, this isn't an exact um, version of the quote because there was something else he said about how it was someone who he had seen in the movies previously. So it's yes. someone who's already in the Star Wars universe and I wondered if it was maybe Billy D. Williams. Yeah. My bet would be on one of the legacy actors, so someone from the original trilogy, 
um, because Kevin Smith, like, he leans towards the nostalgic things, you know, so he likes to see stuff that from the older films, which, again, is great, like, but I really don't think he would be making that sort of comment about Oscar Isaac or Daisy Ridley or anyone like that, you know, so, yeah, if I had to bet on anyone, it would be Billy Dee, I think, or Mark. I guess it just depends what he saw and how orchestrated it would be in terms of what JJ would choose to be filming on days where he knew people were visiting set. So it wouldn't yeah. be anything like too spoilery, not like a key pivotal scene, you know? Yeah. He, he did say, like, again, that emphasizing that this isn't a complete quote, but he did mention somewhere that he saw things that revealed plot details oh, okay. and informed him about what was going on to some degree. All right. But again we have no idea of the extent of that because we have literally no idea what the plot is so yeah yeah in my mind he's talking about billy d just because we haven't really heard anything about lando and i i want to hear something about him and i want him to do a really great job so yeah no definitely that'd be my bet i saw some people speculating that it was adam driver but um due to some <laughs> analysis of adam driver's whereabouts <laughs> not at all creepy yeah, not at all groovy. Um, and some corresponding analysis of when Kevin Smith was actually in the UK. I can confirm that Adam Driver was in America when Kevin Smith was in the UK. So, Bless you, Rachel. You're doing the important work here. Yeah, I know, right? Thank you. <laughs> like, seriously, it's not like actual stalking. because No, I know. Like, it's it's he was public knowledge. He's there doing work. And if Kevin was over in London at the same time, it's like, well, you can cross him off the list. Not <laughs> yes, <about him>. exactly. <laughs> Thank, thank you for being understanding. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, don't worry. <laughs> Good. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, is there anything else you want to say about Kevin Smith? Um, Not really. Just to say that I remember seeing some of his reactions to The Last Jedi, specifically the part in the throne room scene where Rey and Kylo team up and Kylo kills Snoke and everything. And just the way he talks about these things, it's just so funny. Like, oh, he really? was just what was so full-on enthusiastic. Like, just the way he was describing it was like, oh, and then he's, like, really pissed because Snoke reveals that he was having them both on and Kylo looks like he's ready to murder him and then he does. And then they both <laughs> fight back to back and it's the coolest thing you ever saw. <laughs> Literally sounds like an eight-year-old describing the just, plot of the film. Yeah, it's very great. endearing. It's just like, wow, you are so into this. Which I appreciate because, you know, sometimes people weren't the most complimentary of the last jedi i don't know his yeah. full thoughts on it um i don't know how he thought about the luke stuff for example but he seemed into that so that's the part that i saw yeah exactly um right then the next thing that we want to talk about is that our intrepid friends at knights of rant actually got to go over to a library is that correct in hollywood and read the last jedi script would you like to elaborate on this kirsty yeah so if people haven't already i highly recommend listening to the most recent episode or it's currently the most recent episode i don't know when the next one will be out um the episode of who talks first um where courtney was able to go and read the shooting script uh i can't remember the name of the oscars library but it's an oscars library in la um and it seemed very difficult for her to get in and then like sign a lot of paperwork and like promise that she wouldn't take photos or anything um but she was able to read the shooting script on an ipad and take notes um which she then reported back in the podcast um and it had a lot of interesting insights it wasn't like super shocking because yeah. the idea of this kind of script is that it reflects the final product that we saw on screen 
Yes. So it's not like the first draft or anything because it's submitted yeah. for awards consideration. Yeah. No, it's very much a script that's been edited within an inch of its life to resemble the finished film extremely closely. So there are literally no deleted scenes. For example, all the dialogue that is in the script is dialogue that is heard in the film. So there are no pretty eyes, unfortunately, in the draft of the script that's at this library. Um, But yeah, that's all part of the course. But it's just a lesson in remembering that while it's called a shooting script it really is not the script that they were shooting from because it's very much something that's been edited after the fact to match what was ultimately produced so yeah it's always best to approach these things with caution because yeah it's a very calculated presentation to the world because they would have also been aware that this script would have been available to the public at least through this library if not through anywhere else yeah, I will say what's interesting is that while it would have been edited, it includes a lot of swear words, apparently. <laughs> yes! No, that's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because apparently Ray's reaction to Luke tossing the saber, obviously inwardly, she's not speaking, it says, Ray is dumbstruck. What the f***? <laughs> <laughs> Which is her expression. But it's funny to read that in a script. Yeah. No, exactly. Like which is quite bold to be honest for Ryan to do as a surprise because like Star Wars it is ultimately like a series of films that are suitable for families and it's pitched at that level so obviously the characters aren't going around using cuss words or anything and the kids aren't reading the script <laughs> yeah and the kids certainly aren't reading the script but it's just amusing to me that he chose to coach the characters thought processes in those terms so yeah i appreciate it um so yeah let's just go through a few of the quotes that she mentioned on the podcast um in the second force bond scene um when ray says you are a monster um kylo's eyes hurt with conflict beneath calm waters ray is struck by them in spite of herself with the shadow of rain (laughs) running down his face with more self-loathing than menace Oh, I love that. So He's ironic. struck by them. <laughs> She's struck by Kylo's eyes, hurt with conflict beneath calm waters. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> so it's such a romance novel spiel, isn't it? It's great. Yeah, that's very fanficy. Yeah. So Ray was captivated by him. In spite of herself. <laughs> yeah, no, like but jokes aside, like I do like how that's put. Like, it's very evocative. And I think that's a case of the description in the script mirroring what we actually get very nicely. I'd be so curious to know if this was written before or after they filmed it, actually. I love Daisy's reaction to him there when he goes, yes, yes I am. Like, you, that's what you see on her face. Like, wait, what? And she starts yeah. kind of questioning her perception of him. Exactly. He's all about challenging her. Um, this isn't a direct quote from the podcast, as far as I'm aware, but it's Twitter user Leviosa LFC was writing a thread that kind of summed up um, what was said on the podcast. So thank you for that. Um, she says, a big blow to the Kylo planned and manipulative Ray in coming to him. Because um, obviously that's been like a prevalent idea in fandom that Kylo was manipulating Ray through the, throughout the movie. Mm. Um, he is genuinely confused about their vision as he thought they'd shared the same one but supposedly Ray saw something different. 
Kylo is described as being genuine frequently at points in the script. So I think this must be at the point when they're in the elevator and she says, I saw it, and he says, I saw something too, and explains that he saw something different. So yeah. he is surprised to find out that when they touched hands, they didn't actually see the same thing. Yeah. No, which is an interesting revelation because we were talking before the show and we kind of both agreed that it doesn't really come across that way in the film itself. I think you certainly get like Ray's confusion. Like when Kyla reveals that he's seen who her parents are, like you can tell that at that point she's like, oh, okay, so I guess he didn't see the same thing I saw. But I don't think you see that the other way around. Would you agree, Kirsty? I don't, yeah, I don't think confusion is the predominant emotion that he displays in that scene but um i'm coming back to like what jason fry described it as in the novelization the whole like churning emotions and conflict yeah and then ray realizing that the churning emotions are about her just as much as anything else yeah so there's a lot going on (laughs) with this character yeah Um, and i think it it does come across that it's like a a moment when they both realize that oh wait, we thought we'd seen the same vision of the future, but actually it's different. And then they go into the room and of course that has implications for what happens next. Yeah. So you kind of get that almost like crossed wires mythological thing going on. Yeah, exactly. It's all handled very subtly and ambiguously. It's never really like stated out loud. Like in a, in another film, it would have literally been like, what do you mean? Do you mean we didn't see the same thing? <laughs> You know, like, I know that sounds really, like, dumb, but another film would do it like that, and The Last Jedi doesn't, I think for several reasons, because Ryan, like, thinks that the audience is intelligent, so he wants to leave people to think about it and figure out for themselves, and B, and perhaps more importantly, he wants to leave, like, wriggle room for the people behind the next film to interpret that exchange however they want to, if they want to deal with it at all basically mm-hmm. um here on ray's parentage um ray finally speaking her greatest fear something she had hoped against hope was not true but finally she says it they were nobody she says it exactly it's pretty clear-cut to be honest like and again like the part she had hoped against hope was not true that indicates that she did always know which again I feel like that's such an obvious thing because it's stated I think even back in Force Awakens is made pretty clear we're in the whole exchange of Mars but yeah she's always known and she's just always tried to fight against that truth and tried to resist it and yeah I think that's pretty clear as day yeah Maz sees it right away she's like I see it in your eyes you already know the truth and even though Ray reacts to that with tears she still can't bring herself to actually let it go, you know, because that's the thing that she's been holding on to for years that's allowed her to endure and survive. So to yeah. let that go and accept it is really, really difficult. Yeah, exactly. It's a next level thing. And the next part was the Finn and Rose kiss, which I thought was a really nice description. It says, as the shield door explodes, she kisses him, quick and stolen, and he is taken off guard. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, it's a good description of what you get there because it is a stolen kiss in a sense that like it comes out of the blue seemingly, right? Yes. That it's like she's injured and just effectively declared her love for him in a roundabout way. And then I think in the novelization it kind of builds on this with her 
thinking that you know she needs to like make sure that he doesn't miss the point because he has a way of missing the obvious yeah exactly and there's nothing more obvious than giving him a smacker right on the lips (laughs) yeah no like it's nice and yeah very evocative of what we actually get so effective Mm -hmm. The stuff about Luke and Carlo on Crate is really interesting because, again, this is something that I think Jason Fry really fed into well with the novelization, and you you do get this with Kylo's expressions. Um, that when Kylo orders the walkers to fire down on Luke, he is like a man possessed with tears in his eyes. And then mm. when Kylo actually goes out to face Luke, um, he locks eyes with Luke, terrified and furious. And I think it mm. mentions several times how terrified he is of Luke. Yeah, um, and I just love that nuance in this whole interaction because he's so incredibly angry with him and aggressive. Obviously, he he wants to kill him and get this over with, but he is terrified too. And because we know of what happened between them, we completely understand and empathize with him. Yeah. So there's so many layers to the crate sequence. Yeah. No, I really appreciated that. So I think on first viewing, it's easy to see that whole crate sequence. Is Kylo just becoming this like cardboard cutout baddie? You know, so he's like screaming orders and like ordering the deaths of his enemies and so on and so forth. And it all seems very, like, very plain, simple villainy, you know, with no substance to it and no layers, which are things we obviously get used to with Kylo because he's treated with such depth normally. But yeah, I think reading this sort of description from the script, it really drives it home that his behavior in those scenes it's so much about fear like and it's his like defense mechanism basically against the world that he feels so terrified of because yeah i think it's easy to miss that in the film itself because i think adam driver is so good at performing the character that there's a fine line between seeing a character who's performing or just seeing a performance of a character you know which are two different things I think you're being very generous with people there, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, I try to be. (laughs) Very diplomatic. (laughs) Um, The Finn and Ray hug, um, but even as Finn embraces her, we see it in his eyes. This is not the same Ray he knew before. I found this quite interesting because this is what comes across with, like, what Ryan seemed to be trying to say with the hug, that, like... This is the only interaction these two characters have had through this entire movie. Um, Ray left while he was unconscious, so he didn't even get to say goodbye. And they've both had these life-changing experiences th- since then that they're probably going to find it hard to communicate with each other and connect on. And yeah. presumably we'll see that in episode nine. But I found it kind of funny that it says that we can see it in Finn's eyes when his eyes are closed throughout that entire bit, right? <laughs> when they hug. <laughs> Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's clearly a case of that moment in the script reflecting what was written before it was filmed. <laughs> they didn't pay close enough attention there to make sure they actually matched what we got. Yeah, which is cute. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I agree that I really like the sentiment that's been expressed, the idea that they've both been so vastly changed since they last saw each other. And yeah, it makes me really excited to see how that is dealt with in the next film. Mm-hmm. because I think whatever the relationship is with Finn and Ray, I think we're going to have to see that it's matured and altered from the one we saw in Force Awakens. Since that was very much like two kids bumping into each other at a shopping centre and like becoming best friends like from the moment they meet and like having a whale of a time. 
and then they're separated and go off and do all kinds of other stuff and then when they reunite yeah everything's changed again Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just gonna be so interesting it will be interesting to see how that's navigated with the factor of a time jump as well Mm. like whether there's still kind of tension there or whether it was resolved in the meantime but they refer back to it in some way yes exactly so i'm very curious to see like how they approach that so it would be easy for them to just not tackle it at all but yeah hopefully well, we'll get maybe something. just like not explicitly so you would see that their relationship had evolved and this would be yeah, why yeah. but yes. it wouldn't be like a plot point as such you know yeah yeah exactly so they can't make plot points out of everything that happened in the last jedi even though i'd like to see a lot of it integrated to an extent but yeah there's limits to what they can do like that um, the last thing we wanted to discuss was um, when Kylo sees the dice on the floor when he walks into the base. It says, something on the ground in a patch of light, hands dice, he kneels and picks them up. And I just really liked that they'd made it clear that it was the patch of light that they were in because the lighting in that scene is really wonderful and it seemed yeah. like a conscious choice Yeah. Um, that Kylo would go to the patch of light when he's surrounded by darkness and, yes. and, and kneel and find them and then they disappear. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that's some wild coincidence. Like, oh, the room happens to be full of shadows. Yeah, let's just go with it. Cool. Yeah, I mean, we've known since given. since the original trilogy. That's what Star Wars has been great at working with light and symbolism. So exactly. It's like the, how the light is used in the scene with Han and Ben in The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. That's so effective, and all the storytelling is done through the lighting. If you look at that closely, and yeah, it's great. It'll be great to see what episode 9 does with it too Mm -hmm. but if you want more of that please go and listen to who talks first because she actually read the script while we did not so (laughs) exactly she has put out a great podcast on the topic as well Mm -hmm. so yeah well worth listening to uh yeah then the next thing we want to talk about quickly is the last episode of resistance that we saw which is secrets and holograms Yep, so Secrets and Holograms, it involves Tora and Kaz hanging out, going on an adventure, Tora suspecting Kaz of being a spy, and the audience, that's us, learning more about the mysterious Captain Dozer. So what did you make of this episode, Kirsty? I liked it. It wasn't my fave, but mm-hmm. I did really appreciate seeing Tora and Kaz's relationship develop more, and I just think she's such a great character. Yes. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Like, it was really charming to see more of that, like, teenage side of life on the Resistance. Um, on the Resistance. On the Colossus. Yes. Um, no, I liked them playing the video games. So I yeah. thought that was really cool. And how, like, she was just like, oh, I'm so bored. Dad, I want to go out and do something. It was just like, it was funny. Yeah, no, exactly. It seemed to be, like, really sucky for her. Just, like, being locked in that tower, literally, all the time. And... Yeah, I'm looking. Makes me look forward to hopefully at some point in the future learning why exactly Dozer is so protective of her, and because it's to an extreme. I don't think it's just because you get like shady types on the Colossus. You know, I think something must have happened in his past. Mm. Like, I think the absence of Tora's mother is telling us something. Yeah, and I think there will be something that emerges from that. Yeah, I think that might turn up as part of the story later on. Yeah. Hopefully it won't be, but it probably will be a dead mother. But yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think of Buggles? 
Oh my god, Buggles was so cute. Oh really? I thought he was kind of creepy. <laughs> I really liked him. I he might be like my favorite Star Wars pet. I guess I quite like dogs. Although I don't like dogs in real life because they're like messy and they drool on you, but in cartoons it's fine because they don't do either of those things. Um so yeah, I enjoyed watching him. My dog got very stressed out watching this episode because she always barks at screens when there's dogs and oh, really? stuff on them. So yeah, she she thought that Buggles was real. Oh, was she not at all confused by the fact that Buggles was more like monstrous than a typical dog? No, she like whether it's live action or animation. If she sees a horse or something that looks like a dog in on the TV, she'll go mad. <laughs> I like I struggle to watch the Last Jedi around her because there are so many creatures. Oh. Like Porgs, the Voltex, the Favias. Does she think everything. they're all dogs? Not necessarily dogs, but just like something clearly alive and, and she can't stand it. So lots of barking. That's so cute. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a bit distracting. But Oh, we also got um, Rucklin again in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, was, that might have been the highlight for me. Just seeing him like debased like that. Yeah, He's funny. literally become a waiter. <laughs> and still so angry at Kaz and it's like dude he saved your life what is wrong with you (laughs) it's like you are an asshole (laughs) he had to do the funny like like really angry voice with Kaz and then um a customer comes along and he's like oh yeah I'll be right there (laughs) haha customer service voice (laughs) yeah like I'm really doubting that there's gonna be any kind of redemption for Brooklyn after that oh yeah I don't think so Like, or if there is redemption, it will be like in four seasons. What I found funny about it was that Kaz was so unconcerned. He was just like stuffing his face and then just didn't even really react to it. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a strength for a weakness. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. And then, and then, yeah, we see that Captain Dozer has an Imperial uniform hanging in his closet. We knew he had skeletons in the closet, but we didn't guess that. Yeah. So what's that about? That's intriguing. Although it does raise an interesting question, doesn't it? Because it's like, to what extent are they going to punish Imperial officers? Because like, when you think about the scale of the Empire, there must have been so, so many of them. And is like, what did you need to do to get the attention of the New Republic? It would probably depend how far up you were, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, I'm not sure what it's implying yet. Is it implying he's perhaps some sort of, like, wanted criminal by the New Republic? Like, in that he did bad things when he was in the Empire? Or is it just, like, ooh, he was with the Empire? She'd figure that quite a few people, like, in the galaxy, did used to be part of the Empire, and they've been, like, rehabilitated and integrated into society in other ways. Yeah, I mean, for all we know, he defected and then, like, helped Leia or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm very curious about him. And it's great because that is a character I never thought I would be interested in. You know, like, he doesn't immediately strike you as like, wow, I'm so fascinated by Captain Dozer. But they've really put a surprising amount of emphasis on him. He's become quite important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very intriguing. Uh, yeah. And I also like that Tora has kind of like a nanny droid as well. I like seeing that character reappear. Mm-hmm. Like got got to have eyes on the ground if you're Captain Dozer. You clearly can't actually watch her all the time, so I appreciated that. And I also like Tora's imaginative ways of escaping custody. Yeah, so she's clearly resourceful. Yeah, she's very smart. 
Exactly. Did we right. get any Niku or Tam in this episode? I don't think we did. It felt yeah. almost exclusively Tor and Kaz. Yeah, I missed them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, same. And I'm not sure we'll get them in the next episode either, if judging by the little clip that we saw as the preview. Yeah. Looks like the emphasis will be elsewhere. Yeah, no, exactly. So hopefully they'll be back in a big way in the second half of the season. Oh, yeah. So what do you think about how the relationship between Tor and Kaz is developing? Do you just see them as buddies? Yeah. I mean, we know that Tor is much younger than him. Yeah. So I don't think they're going to go there in any other way. I just think it's nice <laughs> to see them becoming be friends. friends. Although yeah. it's friends with tension now because he straight up lied to her when she asked if he was a spy. Yeah, I think that is going to play into things later on and they're going to fall out when she finds out. Yeah, she's going to feel betrayed. Yeah, I mean, she's smart enough to put two and two together. Not that Kaz is particularly subtle. <laughs> it's probably only a matter of time before Tam asks him. Yeah. Or figures it out and then does something about it. She's actually more likely to not ask him outright and then maybe like go and confront Yiga about it or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that adds this tension to their friendship. Which, yeah. you know, on the surface is very, like, buddy-buddy um, fluff. But yeah, he's, no, exactly. he's lied to her now, which is wrong. So Yeah. So it was all, like, happy, happy, happy. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll have to see what comes of that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I think that is now all of our non-spoiler content wrapped up. So we are going to proceed into a reasonably lengthy discussion about episode 9 which feels strange to say because for the longest time there's been absolutely nothing but yeah various things have emerged that there are reasons to take somewhat seriously I think we should say as well like because we've probably got lots of listeners who weren't necessarily listening to us before The Last Jedi came out Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously we have not had a ton of like spoilery information so far on episode 9 or what we have had is not that big um or doesn't have the context really to like speculate at length but we had a lot of fun discussing leaks and spoilers before the last jedi even if some of them turned out to be untrue and we'll get into that later in terms of how that affects our reading of what we're getting now yes but just going forward like we'll be really careful with spoiler warnings and we don't want people to listen if it's only going to stress them out but this is part of why we find fandom so fun um so yeah just keep that in mind and We'll, we'll debate whether we think that things are reliable or not, but we're going to kind of explore these things just because we find it interesting to talk about them. So if that's not your kind of thing, please feel free to skip spoiler sections. Exactly. Yep. So with Kirsty's wise words in mind, now we have the spoiler siren. I shouldn't. Do it. Right, so the bulk of the information we have on episode 9 comes from a Reddit post by a user known by the catchy name of XYZSVTABC. Catchy. Uh, Yeah, I know, right? Um, And this post was made eight days ago as of the time of this recording. And yeah, I think what we should do is I'll read it out paragraph by paragraph and then we can discuss after each paragraph. So there's quite a lot here, so I don't want to overwhelm us by just reading it all out and then having to remember all the different bits. 
Right, so to begin. Recently, I was able to go to a Star Wars marketing presentation by Disney, where they discussed all things Star Wars for 2019. It was mostly focused on marketing, but they talked about all the different projects and showed a ton of images and concept arts. I realise I'm just some anonymous person on the internet, so take all of this information for what it's worth, but I just wanted to share. Also, I'm not exactly sure what info has been made public, so some of this may may already be known. Furthermore, I didn't take notes, and I'm going off memory, so I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of stuff. (laughs) Right, so I read that out first, just to provide some context for this, to explain who this person is claiming to be, where they say they heard this information and what their own judgment is about their recollection of the information because they're very good and they're very upfront about the fact that they're not sure that they remember everything clearly so that immediately means that we can take that into account when we're considering what they actually have to say and of course the primary question on people's minds will be Kirsty, do you know what the question is? Uh, Whether or not we can trust this person Exactly Right, so I'm going to tell you why this person is more reliable than most people. So there's two main reasons. So this person has a history of posting on Reddit, and they had previously posted about attending marketing meetings about Avengers 4, and they basically reported some information that had not been reported anywhere else, specifically about the Avengers wearing these white costumes. And then long after the person had posted this, toy packaging came out that revealed lo and behold the Avengers were wearing white costumes so that was a mark in their favour it showed they clearly had some sort of reliable source for things and the second reason to trust this person is that Jason Ward of Making Star Wars has come out separately and said that he's also heard some of the same things as this person through his own sources which, again, is another marker of reliability. I think Jason would be the first one to acknowledge that he didn't get everything accurate in terms of spoilers leading up to The Last Jedi. But one of the strengths of making Star Wars is that what they did get right a lot of the time were things relating to costumes and props and toys. So this kind of stuff that would have been revealed through marketing. Yeah, exactly. And the things that Jason was backing up were things like Kylo will be wearing a repaired version of his mask. And that's an important thing to single out because, yeah, like, I don't think Jason would come out to bat for that unless he was pretty confident that that was true because that's something that's very easily proven or disproven as soon as the first images of of that character come out, pretty much. And I would guess that that's probably going to be one of the first things that we do see of the marketing for Nine. Exactly. Things like lightsabers and helmets that don't reveal plot points but are cool things that they can use to promote yeah. and sell toys. <laughs> yeah, toy packaging is all about the toy packaging. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, whenever we get these kind of things, it is just like coming down to the most cynical denominator of like, oh, right, Star Wars exists to make money. Yeah, exactly. There's a little bit disillusioning sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Reddit user goes on to make this point. The overall theme of their marketing will be focused on the legacy characters and really reintroducing them to the younger generation of fans. Um, I won't go on about this too much because Kirstie and I spoke about this before the show, but I kind of hope that this is something that might be a little bit misremembered on the part of the poster and that they were talking about 
the Star Wars Galaxy of Adventures shorts specifically because that's clearly what those shorts are about but I really wouldn't want that to be what all of their marketing drive is about because yeah Star Wars can't constantly be looking back it needs to recognize that it has great assets and its new characters and its new stories and really bigging them up for this new generation you know yeah I would think for episode nine it's not going to be about I mean who maybe Luke and I'm sure Lando will get a push, but predominantly it's about the new characters of Rey, Kylo, Finn, Rose and Poe. So Yeah, exactly. Let's hope that was a little bit lost in translation, basically. <laughs> uh, right, then there's some stuff about Galaxy's Edge, so the theme park, and Galaxy of Adventures, which are the animated shorts, but there's nothing strikingly new or notable there. Um, would you perhaps be able to read out the paragraph on the Fallen Order video game, Kirsty? Uh, Sure. Um, They said this is coming out in November. It takes place about five years after Avenger the Sith and follows the main character, whose name is Cal. I forget his last name. He was a Padawan that survived the efforts to kill all of the remaining Jedi. Not a ton of gameplay info, but some of the other storylines are that he has a mentor figure who is a woman named Ceres. How do you say that? Uh, Cerise, maybe? Cerise? Um, It's spelled (laughs) C-E-R-E-S. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I remember is them talking about other characters they would come across from some of the comics. They mentioned the ninth sister and second sister. Something about Inquisitors. <laughs> I wish I could remember more about this. They showed a ton of artwork. Yeah. So I don't really play many video games, but I do like the premise of this one, which is why I wanted to at least touch upon it. Because, yeah, I just think that's a cool concept. It's obviously not an original concept. There's so much, like, EU material about, oh, this Padawan survived the purge, and now they're out as a rogue agent on their own. But I think it sounds cool. If I played video games, I'd play it. Yeah, I think it's neat to get stuff that's after Revenge of the Sith in the timeline. Yes, exactly. It's a little bit less well-trod ground in the new canon. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see about a female mentor as well. Not as common, so I appreciate it. Right, could you read out the paragraph on the Mandalorian? Yes. Um, They showed a sizzle reel of Jon Favreau talking about how he's excited because they have delved into some of the EU for this series. They also talked about the different directors. The main thing I remember here is that the central plot revolves around the main character and a baby. I guess the Mandalorian encounters a baby on one of his missions that he is supposed to kill. But instead of that, he ends up saving it, and a lot of the rest of the story revolves around their growing relationship and his efforts to keep the child safe and protected. Um, They showed a ton of artwork and stills, they spent a decent amount of time talking about the Mandalorian's armour and how it goes through changes and upgrades. They mentioned the large woman character who is some sort of chief of theirs. I don't remember her name or whether she was a villain. They also talked a lot about different planets and terrains, but I don't remember too many details. <laughs> Bless this person. I love that like half of what they've written is like, I don't remember this. I don't remember this. I've kind of forgotten this. I mean, I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> yeah, no, same. I-, I appreciate it. And it's one of the main markers of why I trust this more than a typical leak. Because most leakers don't go around saying, uh, I don't really remember. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make the greatest reading, but it's more true. And yeah, so honesty is to be commended, basically. Well, the first time I heard about this was actually on the Slash Film podcast. So I was mm. kind of I was kind of confused because usually if you hear something on a show like that, it means that it's, you know, relatively official information. Um, I don't know if they had got it from Making Star Wars, who published on it after this Reddit post came out. 
But I was like, oh, so it's kind of just being accepted as truth, I guess. Because yeah. if, if a podcast like that is talking about it, they must have a pretty reasonable level of confidence in its accuracy. Yeah. So that was the first time I heard about it and not this post. So that was a bit confusing. I was like, I don't remember seeing anything official come out about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I said, that Jason Ward had, had posted that um, he'd heard something similar. And that also he'd heard that the basic premise was about restoring the heir of Mandalore or something like that. So it's like, is this baby the heir of Mandalore? Maybe. As opposed to the Mandalorian himself. Something like that. Who knows? Maybe it's Obi-Wan's love child. <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's Rey. <laughs> What's interesting is that this baby would then be around the same age as someone like Kylo or Poe in the sequel trilogy timeline. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, so I think Ben Solo is like a toddler around the time of this series, mm. if I remember correctly. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they mean by baby. It's like baby can mean lots of things. Do you mean like newborn baby? Do you mean like year old baby? Do you mean toddler? (laughs) I'm very curious. Um, But yeah, no, it's interesting. It certainly makes me more intrigued by the promise of the show because yeah, just the prospect of a show about Mandalore didn't appeal to me. Well, I don't think it's ever been presented as a show about Mandalore itself. Yeah, but that was what the, the only information we had to go on as per Jason Warder making Star Wars, you know, in, in the absence of any sort of official synopsis. Uh, yeah, I guess. But like, it, the fact that it's called The Mandalorian, and then we knew that he was like this, you know, bounty hunter guy who was like roaming around the galaxy. It wasn't even like set on Mandalore, you know? Right, yeah. So, yeah, it remained to be seen how connected it actually was to Mandalorian culture or that storyline. Um, but I just really like the archetype of like the hitman with the heart of gold, the whole Snow White Huntsman kind of thing. Yeah. Lots of interesting ground to cover there. Yeah. The prospect of the armor going through many upgrades does not interest me in the slightest. Oh, that but... actually does interest me. Okay. Interesting. I really like that as a potential grounds for symbolism of the Mandalorian's like character development. Okay, nice. And if it relates to the things that he's experiencing and if he has to shed certain things or acquires something as part of the storyline, I think that could have... I mean, obviously the bottom line is so that they can like sell more toys. Yeah, yeah. But if it's worked into the story and skilled storytellers for franchises like this will do that, I think Jon Favreau could do a decent job with having that actually say something about the character and his growth. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, so that's what I was going to go on to say. Oh, sorry. Because even though, no, don't worry. Like, I, I wasn't going to say exactly what you said because, yeah, I'm still not thrilled about it. But for me, it was very much about reassuring myself that this is a meeting being directed at a group of marketing people. So, of course, they're going to focus on the opportunities that this character presents for lots of different merchandise and lots of variations on the same character in that merchandise. You know, so. Yeah, it's like water is wet, basically, in terms of that's the sort of thing they would be bigging up. Yeah, I mean, I always find it really interesting to see the costume changes in Star Wars. Like, I love the transition between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi for characters like Rey and Kylo and what it supposedly says about their arcs. Yeah. So I can see similar being true here. Yeah, no, you're right. I think I need to have more faith in the filmmakers to be responsible <laughs> with things like that. It's healthy to have a dose of cynicism about this stuff. And if you're not a collector, because I've seen other people react to this like, oh, cool, I can't wait to have the hot toy of him in various, like, you know, you could get a hot toy that has all the different stuff to, like, go with it, right? Or they could yeah. sell you 
various versions of it, but we're not collectors, so that doesn't directly appeal to us. Exactly. Yeah, it's not ob jam. Um, right, and then would you like to get to the what is probably the main attraction for our listeners, <laughs> um, which is the paragraph about episode nine? Okay. Um, says so. Plot info was pretty much non-existent here, <laughs> which is not too surprising. Um, they only mentioned that it takes place about a year after the Last Jedi. They talked about the culmination of the movie being a battle between Rey and Kylo. They did show a ton ton of artwork of planets and characters. Sorry, that was there's a spelling mistake there. Don't um, worry. They said Kylo has his helmet back and that it has been put back together with some kind of red adhesive. It looked kind of cool with the red lines going through it. They also talked about Rey's lightsaber and how it's back and has been reforged. They said the reforge is not shown on screen. There's a new droid. Its name is Dio and it's sort of a sidekick to BB-8. It's little and has a sort of cone-shaped head, kind of like a megaphone shape if you can picture it. Beyond that, it was just a lot of artwork and toy packaging. They mentioned various new planet terrains, but the only one I remember was some kind of jungle planet. Anyway, I wish I could remember more details, <laughs> but this was a little while ago and I just found this subreddit recently. <laughs> Bless. Bless this person. They're quite adorable, aren't they? <laughs> well, I think they've actually remembered quite an impressive level of detail. I mean, I know it's their job if they're working in marketing, so they're probably yeah, working yeah. on this stuff right now. But um, if they didn't take notes, as, as they said at the beginning, then this is a decent level of detail yeah. and again this is the kind of thing that was backed up by Jason Ward when he wrote an article either that day or the next day yeah exactly so there's reason to believe much of this well, um, p- <laughs> well particularly concerning the mask and the droid because there's independent verification for that oh sure I would just say as a general rule I don't completely believe all leaks until I get them officially confirmed yes um, you know, just because chances are it means that this stuff is going to come out officially relatively soon anyway. Yes. Um, If this person feels safe putting it out there. And also just because it's not stuff that has a ton of plot information and implication anyway. So it's like, well, believe it or not, like it doesn't really matter that much. Like it's interesting to speculate on it right now, but it doesn't matter too much to me either way. Like if there's a new droid or if Ray has the same lightsaber or if Kylo has a mask, for example. Yes, sure. So, and shocking revelation that Ray and Kylo will battle. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's been so funny though to see the discourse surrounding that because some people will be like, "Oh God, if that if the culmination of the movie is a battle between Ray and Kylo Ren, that must mean they're always enemies." And it's like, guys, I don't think that's what you need to take away from that. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think that's even what he said here because he's he says. There's pretty much no plot information. We just know that at some point there's this important battle between them, which of course that's what would happen. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think by culmination he means culmination of the entire movie. If if it's a presentation where they're hardly giving out any plot information, <laughs> they're not going to reveal the final conflict in the film. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no. <laughs> so... Yeah, no, it's very interesting stuff. Or at least interesting by the standards that we currently have, you know, because we have had almost nothing about this film. Oh, and underneath, also in the comments, sorry, just to follow up, someone asked him if there were rumours about the Knights of Ren. Mm -hmm. And he said, yes, I totally forgot about them, but they will definitely be in the next movie. (laughs) And I loved that. And I'll tell you why I loved that. Because anyone else 
posting about their spoilers for episode nine, that would have been like the lead thing. You know, it's like Knights of Rand feature in episode nine. And he's like, oh yeah, they are in it actually. It probably just means that they won't be a huge part of the marketing, so it just doesn't matter to him that much. Yeah, something like that. And I think it just seems like he's trying to remember a lot of stuff. So mm. it kind of slipped through the net. Yeah. So he did say that there were multiple images of them. So I don't think that they're going to be completely excluded. But equally, I don't think they're going to be like on every single piece of merchandise. Exactly. I think the big things for him were the new droid, because they market droids a lot. BB-8 has been hugely prevalent in marketing for the trilogy. Yes. And like even BB-90, like for the level of screen time that droid got in The Last Jedi. Yeah, oh my god. I really thought that was going to be this big part of the subplot that concerned him, and it was like a couple seconds. Yeah, BB-90 was a glorified cameo. It was (laughs) sad. Um, But yeah, obviously the big parts here that I anticipate will feature a lot in the marketing if they turn out to be reliable is the fact that Kylo has this new look for his helmet and Rey has the lightsaber again. Yeah, and I actually quite like the idea of the helmet now. I first, when you see it, when you're coming to it from our perspective on this character in the films, it's like, oh man, <laughs> if you want to see the face, you want to see the emotions. But actually, upon reflection, I think that a helmet can be a very powerful storytelling device. Oh, it's used it's... very well in the first two movies. Yeah, exactly. And especially in terms of the design that they're discussing for this helmet. Well, um... <laughs> my first reaction was that it sounded kind of goofy. Yes. Because without, without a photo, putting it back together with some kind of red adhesive and the way that Jason Ward had compared it to like Vader's helmet or Darth Maul with the red and black in his article, I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> so I think I just need photographic evidence before I fully make my mind up. But I agree with you that so far, JJ and Ryan have done a fantastic job using the mask as a storytelling device. So, and, and Adam is incredible acting in it. You know, the way he uses his body language is amazing. Yes. So however it's used in the movie, like if this turns out to be true, I have faith that whatever they do with it, it will be done well. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's also worth remembering how at the end of The Last Jedi, we basically see Kylo Ren and Rey both regress to an extent in that they both retreat into these earlier versions of themselves to some degree, they've both obviously changed and be transformed by their experiences, but in terms of their most surface level and how they behave, so by that I mean like Kylo screaming to like bring that ship down when he sees the Millennium Falcon, and Rey going, "Core, I like this," from like the firing seat in the Falcon. You know, like those are both very much the characters that you first meet in the Force Awakens. So I think there is going to be an element of regression and I think that Kylo trying to put the helmet on could reflect that for him. And it would be interesting if we see something similar going with Rey. Like with Rey, they could signal it by her putting the hair back up in the buns or something like that, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, I think regression implies that it's genuine and to some extent I think it's going to be them trying to convince themselves. Yes. Um. So I wanted to talk about this idea that um I'd seen... Caitlin at Sky Talkers, and I've seen a couple other people mention it too, but Caitlin I wanted to talk about especially because she's studying for a master's in historic preservation, so this is kind of her academic area of expertise. Um, when she read the rumours, she was talking about Kintsugi, 
um, mm-hmm. the art of precious scars, and she linked to something on Twitter. It was a Wikipedia article um, that said, this can be seen as a rationale for keeping an object around even after it has broken, and as a justification of Kintsugi itself, highlighting the cracks and repairs as simply an event in the life of an object, rather than allowing its service to end at the time of its damage or breakage. Mm. Which I think could be really interesting in terms of the symbolism and what it means for Kylo at this point in the story. Yeah. No, it is super interesting. And I think to a degree he needs to hold on to that helmet to be the leader of the First Order. Like, thinking about it, I'd almost be more concerned if he were leading the First Order with his own face. I think if Rey had agreed to stay with him, he wouldn't have got the mask back. Oh, same. Yeah, I don't think he would have either. I don't think he would have been like, Ray, we need to get you a mask to match mine. <laughs> oh my god, his and hers. Can you imagine? But yeah, um, because she rejected him, I think that's another... It's like a security blanket, right? Yeah. No, exactly. And I think that by wearing it, he's indicating that he, as Ben Solo, as his actual self, he's not taking ownership of what he's doing, which is part of why he needs to hide and why he needs to build this facade of himself as a leader. Because he doesn't feel like he's truly capable of doing that. He needs to put on a mask to be able to lead these people. Mm. So I think it will be... I think the um, the Reddit user described it um, in similar terms in that it kind of looked like if you had smashed a porcelain vase and then put it back together. Yes. So what I'm picturing in my mind now, after having processed that, is a little more subtle and more put together than the way it was described at first, or at least seemed in my mind as like really haphazardly put together and like these really garish bright red streaks that looked just really ugly. And I was like, how am I going to take that seriously? Yeah. But if it's like subtly this red stuff that like holds it together, but reveals the cracks in, you know, like you say, the facade, the the chinks in the armor, as, as Ryan Johnson described it in The Last Jedi, then I think that could be done really well. Yeah, no same. So I'm very curious to see how it's executed, if it is indeed what we get. Um, yeah, and this new little droid sounds cute. I know. And I always appreciate cute droids. I like the sound of it being so tiny as well, because BB-8 is actually surprisingly big. Mm-hmm. Like, I think because obviously all the toys of BB-8 are super small, it's easy to think he's smaller than he is. But he's actually like half the size of Ray or something. <laughs> so I could totally see this like little baby droid who's sort of like his kid. I yeah. think that'd be adorable. BB-8 has had a lot of really adorable interactions with other droids on Resistance. So I would love it if they could bring that into episode 9 as well. Yeah, exactly. Would you like to see it being like a nurturing role for BB-8? Or more like a rivalry of some kind? Um... I think it'd be cute if it was kind of like Chewie and the Porgs, the the little droid kind of bugged him at first, but then he grew to love him. Oh yeah, yeah, took him under his wing, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see that. And then that's BB-8 on his journey to adulthood as well. Yeah. And also, let me pitch an idea to you about Ray's saber, which he has apparently reforged, um, which I really loved. The idea that after Ray has reforged the saber is actually unstable, like Kylo's is unstable. This what has become a very it? popular fandom theory. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, this man. is common amongst actual... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think the first person I saw float it was Kate. So BBKR on Twitter. I think she's dra- drawn some fan art of it. Um, and I love the idea because it would be kind of strange if we had that amazing symbolism of the kyber crystal being torn in two and then she just fits it back together and there's no change, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Whereas if it reflects that instability of Kylo's saber, that would be a bit of a reveal, right? That things aren't yeah. quite right and that they're mirroring each other. Yeah. And it would also be about revealing the history of the object, mm-hmm. which would also be happening with Kylo's mask. Yeah. So then you'd see that in both of them. So yeah, that sounds awesome and I really hope they do it. <laughs> yeah. The only thing is that if they had shown artwork of Ray with it lit, um, you'd think that if this guy had seen it, that would be something that he might mention, that the saber looked different, but it's possible that he just didn't notice it. Mm. So try not to put all my eggs in that basket, because I really like it as a theory, but it might just not happen. Yes, definitely. And we know from experience that it's best not to get too attached to headcanons. Yeah, and often what turns out in the movie is actually way better. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's all doing. And there's always going to be a justification of some description, so, yeah. Yeah, they're the professionals, so whatever we're doing is like fan fiction, they're probably going to make it better. Exactly. Make it all better, JJ! He will! Yeah. (laughs) Better than I could ever do, I'm sure, whatever it is, so. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Certainly earning enough money, so. Um, yeah, so I think that's pretty much all the major things. Like we've discussed now from that Reddit report, right? Yeah, I'm just... I find it really funny to picture Kylo going back to that exact elevator and sweeping up the teachers and fixing it <laughs> like a little puzzle in his room. Oh, come on, Kirsty, you know he didn't do that. You know, you know he sent someone else to do, to do that. I think he'd be embarrassed to do that. <laughs> he spends a lot of time in his room. He's, he needs a puzzle to amuse himself. I could see him fitting it back together himself. I don't think he literally went to the elevator to get the pieces himself. Oh, no. <laughs> Either way, it's n- it doesn't make any sense and it's not going to be explained by that Star Wars. Because no, it doesn't. <laughs> in The Force Awakens, he leaves the helmet on the bridge when he killed Han. And guess what? He magically has it again in The Last Jedi. So can't yeah, think about reasons. this stuff too much. And it's also like the question of he really like shatters that thing. And when we say shattered, we mean like into like a million tiny, tiny pieces. Exactly. And yeah. <laughs> just... I mean, we also had Scargate. So the end of the day, the, uh, I don't know, Star Wars is not too great with the narrative consistency yeah. and <laughs> of these little things that don't matter too much. I'll tell you what, what actually reminds me of. It reminds me how in the um, Greek myth of Cupid and Psyche, or Eros and Psyche, whichever one it is, um, they have Psyche like pick up like the millions of grain, and she has to like sort them into like different piles or something. It's his little and it's like, trial. That must be an equivalent task, Kylo. Mm. Why are you doing this to yourself, you silly boy? Rather than just getting a new helmet, yeah. But that's yeah. the thing. So it has to say something symbolically because it makes no rational sense. <laughs> So because yeah. we're watching a fairy tale, it says something. Um, yeah. I'd be so much I'm more just... concerned if he just had like a whole completely new helmet with like spikes on it this time. <laughs> I just, I reserve my judgment until I see how goofy or how cool it looks. Because depending on, like, the description could go either way. Yes. People aren't always great at describing these things. Exactly. As long as it doesn't actually look like more, which I don't think it will. Well, so. someone actually asked the the Reddit poster to, to to clarify that because I'm assuming of the Jason Ward article who mm-hmm. referenced Maul, and he said no, it doesn't doesn't look like Maul at all because Maul's face doesn't look like that, and it's his face, not a mask. <laughs> 
It's like, are they being like offensive to like more species? It's like very unfair. <laughs> well, I'm guessing it's just the color, but again, that's not enough to be like, oh, that's why it looks like him. Yeah, it's a bit tenuous, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, the other thing that we didn't really talk about too much um, was that he mentioned the year time jump. Which yes, is something you're right. that has kind of been floating around for a while, to be honest. Um, yes. So I that's another reason why I'm more inclined to believe this. Because I think that's that's something that we've heard from various places and I feel like it sounds like a good length. Yeah, I think that sounds like the right amount of time. Because you can't go too far ahead because at that point everyone's become too set in their ways. And I think it just kind of leaves it all feeling a bit deflated like there's not as much sense of urgency anymore so oh it's been dragging on for eight years <laughs> you know like and yeah I feel like there's still time for adjustment and change after a year in a way there isn't so much after like six years yeah and it lets things settle a bit because of the the first two movies were in such quick succession that you you do kind of need that time for everyone to breathe a little bit and figure out how they feel about things and then to go back and fill that gap with other stuff like TV shows and books and things. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh man, there's going to be one more thing. Okay. Right, so now that we have reason, like I said, I'm not saying it's confirmed because obviously none of this is official, but now that we have reason to believe that the Knights of Ren will be in episode 9, do you think any of the name actors that have been cast will be in Knights of Ren? And if so, who? I mean, I have a hope, but I don't have a theory in that I would love for Kerry Russell to be one. Yeah, same. But I'm not attached to it, and if she isn't, I'll get over it. Yeah, like, same. I think it'd kind of be a waste for her to not be a Knight of Ren. But then I say that, and she might be cast some amazing badass character we have no idea of right now. Exactly. So, so we don't know, but we'll just see. I'm sure it'll be coming to light relatively soon. Um, yeah. Just going by what I've seen of her in the, the Americans, she's amazing at action scenes and also can do amazing character work. So, if they wanted to have, again, we don't even really know enough about the Knights of Ren to really speculate as to what their degree of intimate friendship would be with Carlo, or if it's more of a professional relationship. If they trust each other, if they don't, if they even yeah. spend much time together, or if they're off in various corners of the galaxy. So, yeah, there's really so little to to go on there. Yeah, my one hope is that there's more to them than there is the Praetorian Guard. Oh, that I think will be the case. Yeah, no same. Because the Praetorian Guard, there's just literally nothing to them. They look cool and they fight, which is fine. And they perfectly serve their purpose in The Last Jedi. But yeah, I just want more going forward. Yeah, it was clear that they were just like Snoke's guard. Whereas I think Ryan actually said the reason he didn't use the Knights of Ren there was because he assumed that they would have more of a personal relationship with Kylo and then that would muddy the waters in terms of why Kylo was going against them with Rey and everything so yeah exactly it added unnecessary complications um right and then I think we just want to discuss a few little tidbits that have been provided in articles basically riffing off the reddit leak um that have been put out by making Star Wars so we won't go through all of the stuff that Making Star Wars said about the saber and the mask and everything, because it's pretty much just kind of affirming that they had heard similar things to the Reddit poster. Um, but there are two things that are unique to what Jason was saying in this article, so I just thought it'd be worth us bringing those up. 
Um, he says, people have seen stuff for Lando in Star Wars Episode Nine, but all of the details have been murky, contradictory, and jazz, to say the least. <laughs> the reactions have been great, but the details have been pretty bad, and the only thing we can say for certain is he has a cape. Which, of course he would. <laughs> Lando has a cape, but I guess yeah. it's cool, kind of cool to get confirmation and air quotes of that right now. Yeah, no, it's it'd, pretty cool. I wonder if, if they didn't. <laughs> I wonder if they'll be reusing any of the capes that they had made for Donald Glover in the solo movie. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it'd also be nice for him to have something new, considering like 30 years have passed. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And Lando (laughs) doesn't seem to be the type of person who's super nostalgic like that. He seems more like a cutting-edge fashion type of guy. Exactly. He's got to have the new styles. Yeah. Okay, I take it back. I want him to have fab new threads. (laughs) Which I'm sure he will. But yeah, I'm sure Billy Dee would be fabulous. Like, I can't wait to get a first look at him, to be honest. It'll be Same. really cool. Um, and the next thing is just like a small thing, but it's always kind of cool to cover these new designs. Um, there's a new type of elite trooper in Star Wars Episode Nine that is pretty much a solid red stormtrooper with black stripes. The trooper does not appear to be one of the red pilots from Resistance, but it almost sounds like they were developed together. Um... Oh, the rest of it is just kind of theorizing based on that. Right. Um, so, yeah. yeah, just like we got the different designs for episode eight, and they did feed into the plot in terms of, you know, the executioner troopers. Um, they had a slightly different helmet and costume design um, because obviously yeah. they were working for a different purpose. They were the ones who were almost about to execute Finn and Rose on Phasma's orders. So I'm, a guess- I'm guessing it's kind of the similar kind of thing where you see them in the background and they play a part but it's not like huge plot implications it's not going to be the story of the red stormtrooper uprising or anything (laughs) but i do like the designs of the red ones like i really liked it for cardinal even not in novel form and i've really liked um von reg in resistance what little we've seen of him yeah i think they can be quite striking and i think it will work really well for live action yeah definitely it's like very arresting imagery like to get that bright red color yeah, and if we don't have Phasma now, then you need to have like another Stormtrooper design that sticks out. Yes, definitely. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so as always, that wraps it up. Yeah, take it with a pinch of salt, but it's just something that we're going to keep in mind and see if things get confirmed. Yeah, um, definitely. So there the have been things. lots of rumours about there potentially being some sort of first footage by Christmas, mm-hmm. which I am not going to commit myself to believing that in any way me neither it'll be a really nice bonus surprise um, yeah especially since we don't have a movie but the fact that they're still filming it's like i suppose jj could have quickly edited something together like if they had pressure from bob Iger or someone like that like higher up like can we please just tease people and remind them that episode nine is gonna come even though we don't have star wars this year like maybe what they put out mary poppins or something yeah it's a possibility, but don't hold your breath. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is why we didn't really go into that at the beginning of the show, to be honest. I don't think we wanted to make that a big showpiece because, yeah, like if it happens, amazing. But I don't want to like get hyped up for it and then nothing comes of it. Yeah. Basically, a few people on Twitter who've been in the know in, in the past about certain things before they've come out, um, they seem to be implying that they'd heard rumours of things. So yeah, it's rumours and rumours, but could happen. Yeah, we will see what comes about. Um, yeah. Oh, and one last thing, which is complete crack, but I just wanted to mention it at the close of the show when hopefully most people aren't listening so I don't embarrass myself. 
Um, but there has been a rumoured title for Star Wars Episode Nine, oh. which again, there is no evidence to believe this. Okay, so this is a very different category of rumour from the one we've just discussed at length, because there's no independent verification for this. It's probably someone pulling out of their ass. But Kirsty, what is this rumoured title, which I know you love so much? Son of Darkness. <laughs> It's great. I guess it's not raised good anymore. (laughs) Yeah, no, clearly not. (laughs) It's clearly all about Luke, and it's clearly all been about Luke all along. So we were just misguided. Well, Kylo's the son of darkness in The Last Jedi. Yes, no, true. Like, I think it would be like a double meaning type of thing, you know? Um, But seriously, if they were to go down that route, just call it Air of Darkness. You know, come on, like, air could be, like, any of them. It would provoke debate. It'd be like, oh, it's gender ambiguous. Who could this refer to? You know, and you don't get any of that with, yeah, Son of Darkness. It's pretty unequivocal, so. It would probably give rise to a whole new era of Ray Palpatine theories. Yeah, which I could live with. I quite like that theory. Like, I don't... That's me, Rachel. I'm sorry, I don't really want it to happen anymore, but before The Last Jedi came out, I was like, yay, Real Palpatine, woo! And I still wouldn't hate it, although oh, I, I, just would. Want them... I just want her to be Ray Nobody, but yes, if exactly. they were to make her related to anyone significant, like, I'd quite like Palpatine. Ray does not deserve that. <laughs> she doesn't, but it's all about overcoming those weaknesses in your backstories. But she already has. This is what I don't understand about the continued fixation on his parentage. It's not as bad as it was before the movie, do not get me wrong. Yeah, sure. But even then, I was just like, why? It does not matter. It's clearly about her overcoming whatever it was. So... Yes. Like, you're missing the lead, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm being a right troll today. Um, but yeah, so hopefully there'll be like a trailer to discuss. Star Wars Episode Nine: Son well, of Darkness. Okay, next so week. <laughs> I know we said we're going to take it like a week or two off, not necessarily next week, but you know, soon. Mm. Um, but if something drops, it's safe to say that we will record an immediate emergency podcast and be really excited about it. So yeah, we will I, make the time. For a minute, I thought you were going to do the whole. If something drops, we too will drop everything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I would drop a great deal to be able to record that podcast with you. So yeah, don't worry, guys. If there is any footage, you will hear us respond to it because we would be over the moon excited. It would be very thrilling. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, but, yes. but not getting our hopes up. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. We're not going to get committed to that because <laughs> um, yeah, that's a dangerous road. To I go really, down. really want it, but it might just wait. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so we will see what the coming days bring. Um, but yeah, so for now, we should wrap up the show. So I'm Rachel, and you can find me at Stars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Although, are you going to stay on Tumblr after all the stuff that's been coming out? Yeah, it's a mess. Um, I am going to stay on Tumblr. Like, at least for now, because the thing is, my preferred communication is a mix of visual posts and long format essays. And Twitter isn't great for that. And I I can use Twitter. I know how to use it perfectly well. But I just, I'm not very good at, like, writing short, pithy statements, you know. And that's what 
Twitter is all about being attuned to. Mm. So yeah, it doesn't feel like a natural fit for me. So I'm staying on Tumblr for now. Although I do very much disagree with their recent moves towards censorship. I think it's wrong. Um, but yeah, I am also on Twitter. And I'm... <laughs> Let me check what we Yeah, I have Twitter. And obviously I have the podcast account too. But I don't love Twitter. Yeah. Um, and uh, don't get me wrong. Tumblr is a hell site and has all sorts of problems. But like you say, it's great for long form posts. It's great for GIFs. And it has been amazing for fan art and yeah. way better for that format than Twitter is. Like, I, you know, I don't reblog, um, not suitable for work, fan art on Tumblr anyway. Yeah, same. But I follow plenty of people who post it and I interact with it. And the thing about Twitter is that the algorithm and stuff means that if you like something, it then might show up in your followers' feeds. And yeah. I don't want to subject people to that if it's not something they want to see. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't really know what to do. I haven't decided. Yeah. I'm going to keep the accounts for now, but the reality is that the Tumblr community for Star Wars is going to change drastically because yeah. people just won't want to invest the time in that platform if they can't post a lot of what they enjoy producing. Yeah, which is a terrible, terrible shame. But yeah, I'm sure a new, I'm sure a new platform will rise. But yeah, we still need to see what that platform is because I don't think a clear front runner has emerged i know people have been talking about pillow fort but i've yet to be convinced that that's going to be a reliable long-term platform well it's in it's in beta right now so that's the kind of thing that you have to pay to join which i don't have a problem with and i i donate to archive of our own a lot because it's something that i believe in but it's not a one for one for tumblr because that's not the point like you're not going to find an exact platform that replicates it because yeah. it, is, it is what it is, and these things take time and money, so... Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be a bit of a waiting game. But yeah, I'm still on Tumblr for the time being, so still come and find me at Star Wars Nonsense. And yeah, if I move anywhere, I will let people know on Tumblr and here on the show. Uh, yeah, is there anything else you need to say before we close, Kirsty? Uh, no, I was just kind of wanting to give people an update on where we were with that. Because I know lots of other people will be leaving the platform, so... Yeah, no, definitely, it's important. Um... But yeah, for now, I will say cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye.